Welcome to the Unity Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. In this week's episode, Senior Pastor Heath Bauer takes us into a biblical look on baptism. What does it mean? Why should a follower of Jesus be baptized? Can you be a Christian and not be baptized? Pastor Heath faithfully walks us through these questions and more about baptism. If you're in the Ashland or Tri-State area, we would love to see you. More information on how you can connect with us at Unity will follow today's talk. Here's Heath with today's message. So if you want to try to follow along in your Bible, feel free. We will also have the scriptures here on the screen for you to follow very easily. Today's service is entirely surrounding an important Christian ordinance. An ordinance is just a command that Jesus has given for the church to regularly observe as an act of obedience, faith, and worship to him. We have two of them here in this church, and that is the ordinance of baptism and the ordinance of the Lord's Supper. Baptism, I imagine that's why many of you have come here today, maybe if this is your first time, you've come here for this service to understand what baptism is and to celebrate this big day in the life of somebody that you care deeply about. Baptism is a word that many of us are familiar with, but maybe don't fully understand what it means. The word itself is shrouded in mystery. It's, uh, the word that we have in English isn't even an English word, baptism. It, it's a Greek transliteration. We didn't bother translating its actual meaning. We just brought it into our language. And it's the Greek word baptizo or baptisma. Okay? And so we get the word baptism from it. It's a word that means to fully immerse, to plunge, or to dip into something, to fully, to fully surround it. Uh, it's how I eat my barbecue. If you ever go to a barbecue restaurant with me, I will embarrass you with how I eat my pulled pork. I fully, I go full Baptist immersion in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit. And I, I eat, that's the way I eat it. it. That's what we're talking about here. Baptism means to fully immerse or plunge into something. But it doesn't always mean to plunge into water. And that's usually how we take the meaning of the word baptize. When you see it in the Bible, your immediate thought is water baptism. And even amongst water baptism, there's more than one kind. You have the baptism of John, what we have today, which is believer's baptism. But when the Bible uses the term baptize, it doesn't always mean what we're about to see here in a few minutes. It can also mean immersion into something else, not just immersion into water, but it, it may mean an immersion into the body of Christ. And that's what we're talking about when we talk about, number one, spirit baptism, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Um, the Holy Spirit, obviously, is the third member of the Trinity, if you're familiar with God at all. God is one and yet he's in three parts. That's why when we baptize somebody, you will hear us baptize them in the name, singular, of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We baptize them in the name, singular, God is one, and yet he exists in three co-equal persons of the Father, Jesus Christ the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Okay? The Holy Spirit does something very special for us in another type of baptism. It's what we call spirit baptism, where the Holy Spirit immerses us into the life and the body of Jesus Christ. We find it in a verse like 1 Corinthians 12, 13. It says, for in one spirit, we were baptized into one body. Whether it's Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, we are all made to drink of one spirit. In other words, with Jesus, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter if you're rich or poor, Jew or Greek, slave or free. It doesn't matter what color you are, how much money you have. 
in Jesus Christ, you are equally desired to be a part of his body. And he will fully, with his Holy Spirit, immerse you into the life of Jesus Christ. This verse also tells us when spirit baptism takes place. It takes place at the moment of conversion. It's at the moment that we are placed into the body of Christ. The body of Christ is not just this here. It's not just the church. This is one localized assembly of the body of Christ. The body of Christ is this spiritual union that we have with Jesus Christ. Because you know that as a human, we are not just a body. We are actually a spirit that's housed within a body. And that spirit is immersed by the Holy Spirit into the very life of Jesus Christ the moment that we believe. And so spirit baptism, it's not a secondary work of the Holy Spirit. It doesn't happen at some future event in our life. The Bible shows us the moment that you are immersed into Jesus and you are born again, that's the moment that we are baptized by the Holy Spirit. We are immersed into the life of Jesus Christ. It happens the moment we're saved. How, how does a person get saved? How do I get converted? How do I get immersed into the life and body of Jesus Christ? It begins with understanding that God exists that God is out there, that this world is not some grand cosmic accident. If you remember the first story in the Bible about creation, the first man, the first woman, Adam and Eve, God created them. He created all things. And then he gave them a moral command, showing them that because he is God, because he's our creator, we are morally accountable to him. And so he gave them a single command. You can enjoy everything here on earth, but you just got to do it my way. You cannot eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Well, they did. God promised them in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. And that word for die literally means to be executed. Not just that death will begin. That day, they were supposed to be dead. Now, we all know that Adam and Eve didn't die that day. What happened? Is God a liar? No, it's that God is both just and merciful. Yes, God must punish evil and sin, but he loves Adam and Eve enough to provide a way that they may be saved. And so if you remember the story of the garden, what happened? God kills an animal in their place and he wraps their skin around Adam and Eve, that first man and woman. It was a picture of what he promised us later in, in Genesis 3.15 when he says that I will send somebody to pay for your sins forever like this, and he will crush the serpent's head. That's a picture of Satan. And Satan will bruise his heel. He will give him a temporary wound. He's gonna die on the cross, but he's gonna raise again one day. Okay? It's a picture of that. So when we, how do we get spirit immersed into the life of Jesus Christ so that we have eternal life? It begins like Adam and Eve, understanding that God created us and we're morally accountable to him. Everybody else in the universe, we want to believe that aliens created us or that we happened accidentally. Why? Because we're not morally accountable now. I can live however I want. But when we understand that God created all things, we're morally accountable to him. And all of us have broken God's law. Is there anybody here who has not broken God's law? You've, you've not done anything wrong in your life. You've never apologized to anybody. Be careful, your family's sitting next to you. We've all done wrong, right? Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned. All of us is all. And we've fallen short of God's glory. To fall short, God's glory, the reason, what that is, is it's God's perfection. All of us fall shy of that. If you are going to work your way to heaven, here's the standard. You have to be as good as God. Now, some of y'all are really good people. You buy Girl Scout cookies every year and more than you should. You know, you, you give money to UNICEF and you, you do a Samaritan's Purse or Samaritan's Ministries purse box or whatever and you, you send it to kids in Africa and, or you adopt some uh, little kid you give money to and you get his picture every year and you're a good person. But friends, can I tell you, that's not enough to earn you a place in heaven. God's standard is the glory of God and Bible says we all fall short of it. And so if you're gonna trust in your good works, friends, you have to be as good as God. Jesus told uh, Nicodemus, he says, no man has ascended into heaven. 
Nobody climbed the rungs of good works and got into heaven, so Jesus had to come down. It's the Christmas message. Jesus came to earth to die for sinners like you and I. Oh, I'm a sinner. I've done all kinds of bad things. I've lied. I've slandered. I remember pushing a kid down at recess. I stole Lego figures from one of my friends when I was growing up. I've done all kinds of bad things. How long do you have? Um, I've done wrong things, but you know what? Jesus promises eternal life to sinners like me. He says, nobody ascended into heaven. That's why Jesus had to come down. So don't get your theology from Led Zeppelin. <laughs> there is no stairway to heaven. Nobody's getting there. Not by your own good works. We're more like those, uh, you remember about 11, 12 years ago, the Chilean miners, they were all over the news. A bunch of guys get stuck in this mine. They couldn't, they were, the, the sentence of death was upon them. They weren't dead yet, but they were going to be. And what they need to have. We didn't just say, well, you know, let's wait for those miners to go ahead and dig themselves out. We didn't do that, did we? We tunneled down to them because of our care and our love for them. We drilled a hole through the earth and we led guys down through on ropes to bring them up out of this dark place of death. That is what Jesus has done for us. We couldn't get to him and so God sent Jesus to us and like the Chilean miners sent Jesus down to earth on a rope, if you will, and he's going to bring us out with him. 1 Peter 2.24 says that Jesus, he himself, bore our sins in his body on the tree. Don't get confused. This is just another word for the cross because back then when the Romans crucified people, they usually did hundreds at a time. And what they would do is they would just get a cross piece and they strap a dude to it, nail him to it, and they would nail it to a tree. And so it's just another way of saying the cross. Jesus did that for us because Jesus himself was God who came down to earth at you know, we celebrate at Christmas so that he could live a perfect life that you and I can't live. So when that he goes and he is nailed to the cross, he is dying not for his own sins like everybody else. He's dying for your sins. He's dying for my sins. He bore, Peter says, our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. This is what Jesus did for us. Bible reminds us in Romans 3.20, by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. Through the law comes the knowledge of sin. In other words, nobody by obeying the law of God, the Bible, is ever gonna be good enough to make it with God. So if you're hoping that God is just gonna weigh out your life in the cosmic scales of righteousness someday, and you just hope you're gonna come out a little bit above than a little bit below, friends, let me just disappoint you here. It's gonna look like this. Because you and I, every one of us, we've sinned. We fall short of God's glory. We aren't good enough as God to be in his presence. The Bible says nobody will be justified. It's a term that means like a judge hitting the gavel on the desk and declaring you righteous, declaring you not guilty. The Bible says that's not gonna happen to anybody based on his works. He says by the works of the law, nobody will be justified in his sight because the law, the purpose of the law is not to reveal how good we are. The purpose of God's book and law is to reveal us that we're sinners, and I desperately need Jesus to die in my place. I need Jesus to take my punishment on himself as he died on the cross for me. Well, does that mean everybody's saved? I mean, Jesus died on the cross. I mean, we have historical evidence of the fact that Jesus died on the cross. Unsaved, non-Christian, Jewish historians who hated Jesus still reported that Jesus died and that he was cited again after he was rose again, okay? You don't even just have to take the Bible's word for it. But the Bible does tell us that Jesus died and he rose again. The, but not all men are born again. Romans 10, 9 says this. It says that if we confess with our mouth, just means we agree with God that Jesus is Lord, and we believe in our heart that God is raised from the dead, you will be saved. Saved from what? 
saved from our sins, saved from hell. We're saved simply by understanding, number one, what Jesus, who Jesus is and what he did. And we say, you know what? This isn't just a good morality play I'm reading here. This is an actual event that took place in time and space. I believe that. I believe Jesus came. I believe he died for me. I believe he was buried, proving that he died. And I believe he rose from the dead, proving that he is not just a man, but God. And I believe that he rose from the dead, proving he has the power over sin and death and can raise me again one day too. I believe that to be true. But more than that, it says we confess with our mouth that Jesus is something, our relationship between us and God has changed. Jesus is now my, he's not just a God who is distant from me and out there, he is, what, he is my what? He's my Lord. What does it mean to be your Lord? It means what it means down here. And if you have somebody who's <clears throat> over you, to whom you're accountable, somebody you have to follow their rules and obey their laws, it means I acknowledge that Jesus has a rightful claim to my life because he bought me with his own blood on the cross. Bible says that kind of person is saved and it doesn't matter who you are, Jew or Greek, slave or free, doesn't matter. If you believe that message and you're willing to confess Jesus is my only hope of eternal life, the Bible says that person is saved. That, as soon as that takes place, spirit baptism takes place. The Holy Spirit takes us and immerses us into the life of Jesus Christ and the Bible gives us what it calls eternal life. The moment you have it, it's eternal. It means it doesn't end. And the Holy Spirit immerses us into Jesus. Jesus doesn't just distribute eternal life to us like a clown at a parade, you know? Hey, you have eternal life, and you have eternal life, and you have a little eternal life too, and just distributes it. Eternal life, follow with me on this, eternal life is Jesus Christ. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The eternal life that we have isn't just a gift that God gave us apart from himself and said, now, go live your life however you wish. Jesus is the life. Colossians 3 says, when Christ returns, who is our life, okay, he is our life. And so when the Holy Spirit at conversion immerses us into the life of Jesus Christ, it's not clowns at a parade. It's more like an egg, what happens to an egg when it goes into a cookie? Y'all ever bake chocolate chip cookies? Anybody hungry right now? Am I tormenting you? You have an egg here, and that's you and I. And that egg can stay an egg if it wants, and it has the identity of an egg. And eggs come in all kinds of different shapes and colors and whatnot. Uh, if you get some of these farm fresh eggs, they have some, let's just call it stuff, you know, on the outside. And so some eggs are dirtier than others, and they look different. And it doesn't matter what kind of egg you are, you're an egg. But that egg, if we allow God to break that egg and to place it into the batter of Jesus Christ and to cook it into the oven, to seal us into that, you no longer look at the finished product as an egg anymore, would you? If you did, your little kids wouldn't eat it. You call it a cookie now. It has changed, fundamentally altered, because it has been immersed into something else and thoroughly mixed in and baked in so that I cannot be removed from it again. That's the, what the Holy Spirit does with us with Jesus Christ. It fully immerses us into him. And the reason we have eternal life is because Jesus lives forever and our spiritual life has been merged with his eternally. That's spirit baptism. 1 Peter 3, 20, 21 says, Noah, you remember the story of Noah? Almost you all have. Even people who don't go to church know the story of Noah. He says, Noah, while in the ark <clears throat> was being prepared, <clears throat> in which a few, that is, eight persons, were brought safely through the water, blah, blah, blah. He's, he's talking about the story of Noah. Remember, earth was so wicked and evil, God was gonna send flood waters to destroy the earth. But even though God must punish sin, because if God doesn't punish sin, he's not a good God. He's a wicked God, a compromising God. It means he's gotta punish the sin of the world and me. He's gotta punish Hitler and me. And so God is gonna punish the sins of the world, but God is so merciful, he looks down upon this world and says, I'm gonna give them an out. 
And so he has Noah build this ark, this boat, that anybody who's willing to acknowledge that these floodwaters are coming, that it's coming for me, and you're willing to trust me and immerse yourself into this boat, and you are inside of this ark, that person will be saved from the floodwaters that are to come. Well, Peter is reminding us that there's a different, uh, there's a different judgment that is coming. Just like Noah, he says, baptism, which corresponds to this. In other words, this, it's talking about spirit baptism here. We know that because he said it's not the removal of filth from the flesh. He's talking about this, this baptism into the life of Jesus Christ. Being immersed into him now saves us. The appeal of a good, con- of a good conscience, okay? The fact that we are, we're, we're desiring to be made right before God. He says, this immersion now saves us. And very much like Noah in the ark, there is another baptism that's coming, But this time it won't be by water, is it? It's gonna be by fire. We know that in Matthew chapter three, we have a fellow named John the Baptist. He was dunking people underwater, but not like we do today. It was communicating something else. We're getting ready for our Messiah. He's coming and we're waiting for him. And so he was baptizing people with water. He says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me, Jesus, is mightier than I. In other words, he's not just a man, he's God. And he says, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. I may be the godliest man of my day, but Jesus is infinitely holy because he's God. And then he says, he, Jesus, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Now, remember who John was talking to. He was talking to the nation of Israel, the vast majority of which were unsaved. That's why he's baptizing them unto repentance. And so they're unsaved. And he says, y'all are going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit or with fire. You're not going to do both. Okay? The Holy Spirit, we know what that is. You're immersed into the life of Jesus Christ. What is a baptism of fire? Some people thought it meant that he was talking about you know, Pentecost or one of these other things, but friends, I would argue that is not the case. Baptism of fire, fire in the Bible is a, is a picture of God's divine judgment. And the very next verse that comes after this indicates what he means by a baptism of fire. He says, Jesus, his winnowing fork is in his hand and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. What's unquenchable fire? Have you ever seen unquenchable fire? It doesn't exist on this earth. Unquenchable fire only ever refers to hell, where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. And so what John is speaking about in Matthew chapter three is that there's gonna be a baptism of fire where people are going to be immersed eternally into the fires of hell. He says that Jesus has a winnowing fork in his hand. Now, I doubt most of y'all have winnowing forks, I'm thinking, in your sheds, uh, unless you're a wheat farmer and you do it the old-fashioned way. I've got a picture here. I've seen, actually, farmers winnowing wheat in China. And what they'll do is they'll bundle the wheat up, they'll, they'll cut it down, they'll gather it into bundles, they'll beat it against the ground to get the heavy wheat berries to fall off of the, ch- of the stalks, the chaff. And then what they'll do is they'll take these forks and they'll throw it up in the air And then the lightweight stuff will get caught by a stiff wind and blown away, and they gather it up, and they burn the worthless parts of the wheat plant. And then the heavier things, the valuable things, the wheat berries themselves fall down, and they gather them up on this mat, and they will gather it into a barn where it will be saved. John is saying this is what Jesus is going to do one day, that each one of us, we're either wheat or chaff. We're either wheat and we are gathered into the barn and rescued into heaven, or we're going to be thrown up in the air and blown into the wind and we will be destroyed. He says that's going to be the baptism of fire. And the only way to escape that baptism is to be immersed into the ark of Jesus Christ, who will safely carry us to the other side. 
Now, number two, let's get to water baptism because that's why you came here today. You came here to see some water baptism. Our immersion into Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit is what's being pictured here in a little bit with their immersion into the water. It's a, it's a picture that we are now identified with Jesus. We're immersed fully because that's what the Greek word means. We're, we're fully dunked. Um, it's also uh, what we also do here with what we call believer's baptism. It means we baptize you once you've expressed belief. Okay. Uh, we, don't, we, don't, we don't baptize before somebody is capable of expressing belief. I realize in the Old Testament they were, uh, they were circumcised at the eighth day as babies. The only reason we don't do that today is because the reason babies got circumcised back then uh, on the eighth day is because the reality of the covenant was already in effect. The old covenant, the Mosaic covenant, it was already in effect. How did you be, end up in the covenant? Because you were born a Jew. So the moment that baby is born, like it or not, you are under God's covenant and can receive the symbol of the covenant. As a new believer, our symbol of the new covenant here is baptism. But when does the reality of our new covenant in Jesus Christ take place? The moment we place our faith in Jesus Christ. And so the picture of the covenant cannot precede the reality of the covenant itself. It's like a, a private trying to wear sergeant stripes in the military. Is that gonna fly? Well, someday I hope to, you know, earn these. No, you don't get to wear those stripes until the reality of your position has changed. So that's why we baptize believers. We also baptize by immersion. We don't sprinkle or pour. I realize some faith traditions do that. Uh, I'm simply telling you, I'm not saying why they do theirs, but I'll tell you why we immerse is because, one, the word baptism itself means to immerse, to plunge, to dip. It's also a full picture of what happens to us when we are immersed fully into Jesus Christ. Not a little bit, but fully. Uh, we baptize by immersion also. I think you see examples of that in um, Acts chapter 8. You've got a fellow called the Ethiopian eunuch. We don't talk about eunuchs very often anymore. Nobody wants to grow up and aspire to be a eunuch, but ask your mom about it later. A, a eunuch was a high-ranking official, a very trusted fellow in the, in the king's employ. And he was reading the book of Isaiah one time. You ever read Isaiah? Okay. Start with John, a lot easier than Isaiah. Uh, so he's reading Isaiah, and, and uh, Philip the evangelist comes along and says, hey, do you understand what you're reading? He says, how can I? Uh, unless somebody explains it to me, I have no idea what Isaiah is saying. And so Philip joins him on his journey in the chariot, and they're going along, and he's explaining what he's reading, and eventually this eunuch comes to a place of belief where he believes and trusts God and understands, and how he evidences that is he desires to be baptized. And it says uh, in Acts chapter 8, 36, it says, and they were going along the road, they come to some water. So there's this body of water he sees in the distance here. And he says, the eunuch says, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And then they both came up out of the water. I think, believe that there's several things that imply immersion baptism is they go, first of all, they see that there's a body of water. They waited until there was a significant body of water. You wouldn't have to do that if you were sprinkled or poured. All you needed was a jug. So they waited for a body, plus they went down into the water. They didn't just get some water out of there and say, hey man, you're good. They went down into the water. The Bible says they came up out of the water. And so the word itself and this, this picture here is a, a strong reason as to why we fully immerse. But we also fully immerse because it pictures our spirit baptism, that we've been immersed into Jesus Christ. Like Romans 6 says, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised by the glory of the Father. 
we too might walk in newness of life. And so baptism, we immerse because it is, it's the picture of Noah fully inside the ark, the believer fully through the Holy Spirit inside of Jesus Christ. And Jesus becomes our life. And now the life that we live is his life. It's not our own. It's what Paul meant in Galatians 2.20. He says, I am crucified with Christ, therefore I no longer live. The moment we enter into those baptismal waters, do you know what that's a picture of? Your crucifixion with Jesus Christ. I am entering into that water with him. Those difficult waters. Jesus', Jesus crucifixion is mine. And when we put them under water, it's a picture that we have been buried. The old man, the way that we used to be, our sinful desires, that's gone. The old, the old way of living, it's gone. And we raise up from the dead, you know, when we come out of the water. We're, we're, we walk in newness of life just as Jesus Christ was resurrected. It was a new body, a new appearance. Everything about us is now becoming new. The Bible says when we're in, in Christ, and that's what that baptism is, is talking about, we're in Christ. When we're in Christ, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says we are a new creation. That old is gone. It's washed away. And so now the life that I live in, in my body, I live for him. Now, I, I do want to just assure you, is that we're about to do the baptism itself in just a couple of moments, but I do want to assure you this. The baptism itself is not a requirement for salvation. Okay? Now, I know in the Bible, there's some verses there that put it real close. You read like Acts 2.38, repent and be baptized for the remission of sins, and it puts them really closely together. But the rest of the Bible just says, you're saved by grace through faith. Okay, that's it. It's faith in Jesus Christ, my trust in him. The thief on the cross, was he baptized? This man who cursed Jesus and was mocking him all the way to the moment of his death, eventually he realizes Jesus is the real deal. And, I, and something changed in his heart, and he believed in Jesus, and he turns to me, and it turns to Jesus and says, uh, remember me when you come into your kingdom. It's a statement of faith that Jesus is who he says he was. And what did Jesus say back? I'm really sorry, man, you were so close. <laughs> but you're on this here cross, and I can't get you underwater now. I'm glad my Bible doesn't read that way. It says, what did Jesus promise him? Today. Today you will be with me in paradise. And so, no, baptism isn't a requirement for salvation, but I will say this, a true born-again believer will walk forward in baptism. I think you can be ignorant of what baptism is and not be baptized and be a true believer, but I believe that a believer, once we become confronted with the fact that Jesus commands baptism, you will desire to be baptized. Even though you might be a little nervous, you might be a little bit scared. I know some of our people today, they're a little bit nervous. It's okay to feel nervous Faith is getting past my nerves and doing it anyhow. But if we, dis- if we say, I will not follow Jesus, understand that we are disobeying a direct command of Scripture, Acts 2.38. Be baptized. We ignore Jesus' command in Matthew 28. Go into all the world and make disciples doing what? Baptizing them in the name, singular, of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. I liken baptism to kind of like a wedding ceremony. If you truly love somebody, you want to commit yourself to them, can you, be, can you be legally married without having some grand wedding in a church with you know, a whole bunch of people standing up here who overpaid on their dresses and have a way too expensive cake? Can you do that and still be married? Yeah, you can. You can go down to Andy Griffith, and he will, Justice of the Peace, and he will, you'll sign some documents, married, and you're done. Well, what if the girl that you're marrying, guys, says, this is good and all, but I really desire a public ceremony. I've been waiting my whole life for this, to wear that overpriced dress and to take all kinds of expensive pictures. I've been waiting for this. 
Now, if this man refuses to give her that, does that not make his love for her a little bit suspect? I think it does. I think in that same way, when we have a believer that says, I love Jesus, and Jesus says, great, I want a public proclamation of that by baptism, and that person says, I don't think so. It causes us to question the validity of that person's faith. Why are you not willing to be public about your faith? It's something that Jesus commands for us to do. Jesus will ask a more pointed question in Luke 6, 46. He says, why do you call me Lord and not do what I told you to do? When we call Jesus Lord, it's because I wanna to go to heaven someday, I want all your blessings, I want your benefits. Why do you say I'm your Lord, I'm a rightful ruler over your life, but you're not willing to follow the rules of the kingdom? Jesus says your faith is suspect at that point. Can you really say that I confess Jesus as Lord and not live in obedience to him? The Bible, Jesus doesn't think so. And one of those things Jesus commands us to do is to be baptized as a believer. Again, not to be saved, but to proclaim the salvation that we already have. And so every time you come to a baptism, we're really wrapping up here. Every time you see a baptism, it's a reminder to us of what takes place the moment that we are baptized into Jesus Christ and receive eternal life. It's a reminder for us to ask ourselves, am I a born-again believer? Do I trust in God? Am I saved? Do I know with absolute certainty that if I were to die today that my sins are forgiven, that I'm right with God, that I will be gathered like the wheat into heaven, or will... Or am I confused about whether or not I'm going to be burned up with the chaff? Friends, that's not something we roll the dice on and say, well, I really hope this works out in the end. What hinders you from being saved today? Friends, I'm going to encourage you. We're going to pray in just a moment, and we're going to give you an opportunity to respond to that. We're going to have counselors up here in the front row, and if you would like to respond to Jesus in faith today, what greater day to respond in faith than on a baptism Sunday? And I would ask you a secondary question. Those of you who are born-again believers, you've never been baptized, what hinders you? What hinders you from taking that step of faith and being baptized into Jesus Christ? I encourage you to do that. And to, I'll, we'll come alongside of you and we will help show you what that looks like. But let's close in prayer. Those of you who are gonna be baptized today, I encourage you to come forward during this prayer. Our God, we thank you today that you have given us new life in Jesus Christ, and I thank you for the wonderful friends and family who have joined us today. And God, my greatest desire today is that everybody who leaves these doors today has a rock-solid assurance of faith that they believe in Jesus Christ, they have confessed him as Lord, that their sins have been forgiven, that they've been made right with you. And Lord, I also pray for those who maybe are already professing believers. They're people who say, yeah, I trust in Jesus he is my Lord, I live obediently to him, I'm living for his kingdom, but I haven't been baptized yet. God, would you encourage that believer to be reminded of the command of scriptures? We are to repent and be baptized. Remind them of the command of Jesus that, that part of making disciples is baptizing them. Like the blood that was put over the doors that passed over with Moses and the Egyptians, that, that you ask for our faith to be public not just some private thing, I'm embarrassed of Jesus, but a public thing where we say, I am not ashamed of the gospel. God, give our believers today the boldness to make a decision to be baptized. And God, I pray that you would just convict the hearts of those who aren't sure whether or not they are born again, whether or not they are converted, whether or not their sins are forgiven. God, I pray that you will give them no rest in their heart until they make sure. God, give us the privilege and opportunity to share with them how they can, any one of us here, can have eternal life through Jesus Christ. We ask this in Christ's name. 
from all of us here at Unity, we would like to thank you for spending time with us today. If you would like to know how to surrender your life to Christ, or if you'd like to share a response, visit us at www.unitybaptistashland.com. We would love the opportunity to help you in your next steps. You can also connect with us on Facebook at UBC Ashland. If you like what we're doing, don't forget to like and subscribe and share our podcast. Until next time, may we do as Psalm 119.10 says, With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments.